Welcome to the Health Design Podcast. I am your host, Moyes Jiwa. It is a recognized fact that we spend most of our wakeful hours at work. In these circumstances, the potential to improve our health by focusing on wellness when we are at work, coping with work, or thinking about work makes complete sense. My guest on the podcast today is a wellness coach, and he explores those ideas with me in this conversation. My guest today is Brad Cooper. Brad Cooper, you're very welcome to the show. I'm thrilled to be speaking with you today. And I want to start with the statement that most of our time during the day, most of our waking time is spent at work. And I know that you're interested in corporate wellness. So firstly, tell us why you're interested in corporate wellness. And then I want you to talk about that statement that most of us spend our time at work. Yeah, Moyes, it's great to be here. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, I'm the CEO for US Corporate Wellness. We started the company in 2007. So we've watched it go through a lot of iterations over the last 15 years. And it's exciting to see what we think are the key aspects really come to the forefront. And so why does it matter to me? You know, my story, when I jumped into this, I came out of a physical therapy background. So I had master's degrees in in business and physical therapy. I treated patients for 20 years, managed 48 clinics across multiple states. But when we launched U.S. Corporate Wellness, we saw this, this need, this opportunity, exactly what you're saying. Organizations between your commute Maybe your lunch hour, it might be a required additional time, and the eight-ish hours that you're at work, many people longer than that, you are spending not half your waking hours, but oftentimes 10, 11, 12 hours between, even if you're not working long days, between those things. And so incredible opportunity to have the impact in that way. And not just in a, I don't want the employers listening to this going, yeah, but we got to make a living. Like We have to make the bottom line work or we don't stay in business. Exactly. And that's that's part of why I went back for the PhD to study how does this performance piece fit into the whole thing? If we can improve our health and wellness, what does that do to performance? Because if we can show that, well, then it's a slam dunk. I can imagine employers going, well, what are you talking about? Are they coming here for therapy? Or are they coming here to work? Or what is it? And you're right. If we can improve people's wellness, they definitely are more productive. Not only are they more productive, but they're going to last in the health in in that industry for a longer period of time and less likely to retire prematurely. Has that been your experience, and is that how you've framed it? Yes, and simply the performance is better. And it's interesting when people sit and think about it. If and, and take any of the old dimensions of wellness. We actually have a different model we like to promote. But dimensions of wellness, you think of spiritual, physical, mental, relational, all these different aspects. If you address one of those, so if you're my health and wellness coach and you come alongside me and you help me through that process, and let's just say low-hanging fruit, I improve my sleep. Well, what does that do to my relationships at work? What does that do to my performance? What does that do to my likelihood of having a lot of energy at work? You, know, you just go down the laundry list and you say, And again, the data is there, but the logic is so obvious that there's very there there are very few CFOs, COOs, CEOs that say, no, I don't see how that would help. When they sit and think about it, if we are able to impact it, and that's the big question. Some wellness programs are more check the box than they are truly behavior change. But if we can truly create lasting, meaningful behavior change, then oh my gosh, like this is this is a given. Why, Why? 
anybody will say to you, yeah, if I slept better, I'd be worth more at work. Yeah, if if I weren't fighting with my wife or my teenage daughter, I would be better at work. If I were eating fuel instead of junk food, I would be better at work. You know, you just go down, pick any of them. I'm just throwing them out there at random, but pick any of them. Okay, you, you've come to the heart of the matter really quickly, which is fantastic. So I want to say this to you. For a lot of people, the reason that they are anxious or the reason that they've developed chronic illness is because of bad management at work. So they're really under pressure at work. People who have not good managers making life difficult for them. And then they go into the behaviors that you're talking about, eating junk food, maybe drinking too much, staying up late at night, keeping their devices on beside the bed and feeling that they're constantly on call and and available on email and, and penalized when they don't respond. What is your response to an employer who says, well, all you're going to do is draw attention to our bad management style? Yeah, I think there's a mix there. So I don't disagree with you. If I'm your supervisor and I'm a jerk, then that is certainly going to affect the choices that you make. However, and this is a big however, even in the presence of that, we can help you be a better performer. We can enhance your health and wellness if we do it right. So maybe especially in my role, maybe I can't control your management skills. Maybe that's not an area that we're pulled into. We could, but we typically are not. Can we still help people that are working for a jerk? Absolutely. Because you you, you talked about stress leading to bad choices with eating or sleeping or devices or, or whatever it might be. Yes, you're completely right. But it also flips the other way. You know, We often look at stress as a negative thing. That's how we get better. Like I've done 11 Ironmans. We won the Race Across America bike race a few years ago. You don't prepare for an event like that by kicking back on the couch and go, well, I'm going to save all my energy for the race. You stress your body and then you allow it to recover and then you stress it some more and you keep up in that game. So let's say you have a terrible boss. Let's say you've got a jerk at work and you're like, I don't care. I'm going to be a great performer anyway. What you do, you flip that, you work on the sleep you make sure you've got that good fuel going into your body. You, you build those other relationships outside of your boss. And now you go into that situation, that setting, and you've got more to give. Just like when you go into that Ironman, you've trained harder, you've prepared better. And so now you do it. Okay. So it's 87 degrees and 20, you know, I don't know, let's say 70% humidity. Of course, that's difficult, but you've trained for it at work. Okay. You've got a jerk as a boss. But you've trained for it by preparing these other aspects. So, so yes, 100% agree with you. And flip it to the other side, even if we don't change that boss one iota, we can have a positive impact and allow that person to work with a terrible boss more effectively by taking these steps. Great answer. Okay, next question. What are the big issues that you see in the corporate world that we could be working on to improve wellness? Yeah, I, I think the biggest single one is that word, single. It, we need to bring it down to the the one. There's so many things that are one size fits all. Okay, let's do a lunch and learn on how to eat. Let's do a steps contest with everyone involved. There's nothing wrong with those, but they're not going to change behavior. They're, they're going to be so. Maybe you're very active already. You're going to win the steps contest, and I'm not going to care because I, you know, what I'm not going to catch up with Moyes. He's just going to crush me anyway. So why should I even try? So there's nothing wrong with those contests. Those are fun. Sometimes we help facilitate those, but where you truly get lasting, 
meaningful behavior change. And that's the phrase I'd like to keep coming back to because that's where we impact the outcome. Lasting, meaningful behavior change. If you don't have those three words or three phrases, I guess behavior change is a, is a double there, then we don't really have a wellness program. And there are so many programs out there that don't address that. So com- coming back to your your question about those aspects, we've got to bring it down to the one. So that's my answer is how can we connect with you and whatever you're dealing with? Not me telling you, not me coming to you and say, well, Moyes, you know, I've I've kind of looked at your biometrics and I think you really need to eat more X or, you know, you're really not exercising enough, Moyes. We got to get you moving on this. That's not how effective wellness works. Effective wellness draws out of you. So Moyes, what's going on? But, you know, where, where's an area that you'd really like to work through? Oh, man, Brad, I am so overwhelmed with stress right now. I don't even know how to handle it. Okay, do you want to work through that? Oh, I'd love to. Now we're on to something because you're on board and I'm there to support you. So that's where an effective employee wellness program takes place. It's not when I come in and lecture to you. It's not when I preach to you. It's not when I come to you with a list and say, you know, Moyes, here's the five things you need to do. It's when you come to me, I help you think this through, I help you draw out what matters most to you, and then we move forward together with that. And it's interesting because a lot of times people are like, well, but don't you need to address blood pressure? Don't you need to address fill in the blank? Well, yeah, but you know, as a physician, you influence positively every single aspect of health and wellness with move, fuel, rest, and connect. If we will do those four things, move, fuel, rest, connect. We will enhance anything you're trying to do with me as my physician. That makes a a whole lot of sense. And I'm thinking particularly about the coaching habit that Michael Bungay-Stanier talks about. And he says, there are seven questions. And the first question is, what's the challenge in this for you? And often it's not what you think. You might think it is, as you say, the stress. But in fact, the reality is, if you exercise more, that will reduce the stress because you're going to have more energy and fill in the blank. Well, and it's it's often different. If you and I both are coming to it with stress and we both need to exercise, that may not be the answer for both of us. Because for me, I might start with this thing over here. You might start with this thing. It's whatever engages you. That engagement piece, we talk a lot about that because folks will say, well, you know, what are your participation levels? And I say, I don't care. I want to know what is your engagement level? When I got, I've been married for 29 years. When I got engaged to my wife, Susanna, I was on cloud nine. I still am. We were talking a little offline about our wives and how fortunate we are as guys to have been allowed to be a part of their lives. And when Susanna said yes, I was just like, wow, this is amazing. And we want this, okay, we're not going to get that level, but we want the same type of concept with wellness. Because if you just tell me, I need to exercise more so that I'll have less stress. Okay, whatever, dude. But if I come to you and you draw out of me, why does that actually matter? Now I'm engaged. Remember, engaged. We want them engaged, not just participating. Yeah, and that makes a whole lot of sense because you're right. If you see the problem the way I see the problem, we're on the same page. And then we can deal with the real issue, which is, not to do with the bad boss, but the way that you're reacting to a boss who protect, who's not a particularly good manager, but you right. you could help manage, is, you, manage you better. In fact, you might turn right. the, on the table on exactly. that particular person. Fair enough. 
Okay, so in the last while, while you've been doing this work, where have you found the biggest challenges in the corporate world in terms of the kind of issues that are center stage for most people? Organizationally or individually? You decide. You choose. Okay, I I know what it is. The single biggest thing is having people try it out. Some it being something that matters. In this case, typically health and wellness coaching boards in the US, there's something called the NBHWC, National Board for Health and Wellness Coaching. And and it's changed coaching from just being a thing that you and I say, hey, Moyes, you want to be a coach? And I'm and you say, yeah. And I say, hey, me too. Let's walk out the coffee shop and call ourselves coaches. That's not a thing anymore in the US. You have to become board certified in order to have those credentials, code of ethics, standards of practice, all those kinds of things. So coaching has changed dramatically since 2017 when the NBHWC kicked in. And the, the, the effective coaching allows that to happen. The problem is we're all busy. Uh, if I'm an employee at organization X and you make coaching available to me, or hopefully you even incentivize it because you know the value of it. So you say to me, we're going to give you two hours, a quarter off if you'll talk to this coach for 20, 30 minutes because you know the value of it. Then that will help me try it out. The problem is oftentimes folks, again, we're just all busy. It's it's nothing against that person. It's just they're going, man, I, I don't have time to breathe. Why am I going to talk to this coach? What are they going to tell me? Because they're thinking of their fourth grade PE teacher, or they're thinking of that person on you know, whatever the weight loss shows are that you might see on TV. And they're not realizing the coach is not there to jam something down your throat. They're there to come alongside you, put their arm around you and say, what can we do together? And that's when it gets exciting. So the biggest single challenge for us in terms of driving that, that positive life for that person is having them try it out. Almost always, once somebody tries that first coaching session with an open mind, they come out of it saying, wow, that was totally different than I expected. That was really, really helpful. And then they move forward. But it's getting that first interaction to take place. And are your clients generally individual employees or are they corporations? Generally organizations. So I wear two hats. Uh, U.S. Corporate Wellness, we provide primarily coaching to organizations around the country, sometimes other wellness companies. So we'll come in and provide the coaching on their behalf and they'll provide the technology. Sometimes it's insurance benefit consultants where they're looking for ways to enhance an already established program. We don't do it all. We're just coming in and adding the coaching to that. And sometimes it's organizations that look at their program and say, we're just not getting results. What can we do? Oh, I heard of this coaching thing. Let's try to integrate that. So that's typically on the organizational side. The other hat that I wear is with the Catalyst Coaching Institute. And that's people like you and I who would like to maybe become a health and wellness coach. We have a training. We're not the only option. There are many options here in the States and worldwide, but we are one that have people from all over the world going through the Catalyst Coaching Institute certification to become trained. So that's a one-on-one. The other one's through organizations. You talked earlier about individuals and I was persuaded that you work with me (laughs) and I understand that you are there to help me achieve my goals, not achieve your goals. You're there to help me to achieve what I want to to do and be. How do you persuade corporates that this is something that's going to be of value to them? So if I'm the CEO of a company, Mm -hmm. how do you approach this? Yeah, look at the data. You, You ask them, how's your turnover? What if your turnover was reduced by 7%? How's your engagement? Are, are people coming to work all in or are they coming to work just getting by? 
what is the sick time? What is the turnover? What you know, go through the numbers that matter. And then if they have any kind of data around, you know, some companies track visits per FTE or activities per FTE, full-time equivalents. And so they can literally look at productivity as a number. And like I said, no one doubts the fact if you can you can talk to a CFL CEO, whoever, and say, if your employees started sleeping better, do you think that would influence their productivity? Like that's a no-brainer. Like they don't even have to think about it. But they've never made that connection. They're just thinking medical claims. They're thinking, well, how do you use my medical claims? Well, that'll have that'll be impacted. There's no question about it. But I think short term, that's long term. We don't, you know, as a physician, if I come into you and I've got this laundry list of stuff, you don't fix me when I walk out the door. You get me on the right path to potentially over time move that in the right direction. Same thing in, in organizations. It's exactly the same thing. But short term, we can improve performance. We can improve engagement. We can improve all these other aspects that give them a short term return that will allow them the time to then garner the long term return. That's really exciting to me for a, a different reason than you're thinking at the moment. And the reason I'm excited about it is as a family doctor, you are now talking about a part of my work that's extraordinarily difficult. And that is, yes. how do you get people to lose weight, drink less, exercise more, sleep better? These are the big ticket items in healthcare, because if we don't deal with those, we're going to continue dealing with the cancers, the dementias, the heart disease, yep. and all the rest of it. So here you yep. are coming at this from a very different angle from the angle that I'm coming to it. You're talking about improving pe people's productivity, keeping them in the workforce longer, making people happier at work, where I'm thinking there's almost a wall there because I'm thinking, well, it's all about stopping these horrible things happening to them. Right. So are we talking about the, the morphing of healthcare to be much more democratic in terms of how society thinks about the issue? I think there, there is some morphing taking place. For example, I, I mentioned to you our son's in med school right now, and he's been through the wellness coach certification. So he's going into med school with this concept of health, wellness, performance, coaching skills, drawing folks out, motivational interviewing, intrinsic motivation, all those kinds of things. So I think at one level, that's exciting to see. And I'm sure he's not the only one. I'm sure there are a lot of men and women who are going through med school who have had that type of training, even if it wasn't some official thing. The other piece is physicians, and I don't know what it's like in Australia, but here in the US, physicians and health and wellness coaches are beginning to partner a little bit. So a physician may only have an average of five minutes, seven minutes per patient during a day, but they can get the ball rolling, they can make that diagnosis, and then they can come alongside or have a coach come alongside them in their office or separately to then take that strategy. So the coach is not making a strategy. This is evidence-based. This is all supporting the medical model, but then they can come alongside them and say, okay, so your doctor talked to you about your diabetes. What, what questions do you have? Where do you want to go with this? What steps do you want to take? And they are able to then walk them through, remember we said lasting, meaningful, behavior change. You can give them the pill, you can give them the steps. The coach helps them start those steps in the right direction. There isn't a competition. I completely understand and I completely Absolutely. understand and agree with there isn't a competition here. Not at all. But in terms of how public health thinks about healthcare and how it thinks about prevention, there is a major disjunction here because as you say, doctors will have 10 minutes, 20 minutes here in Australia with the patient. 
But the chances are that they are spending, as we discussed earlier, far more time at work. They spend more time with their boss than they'll ever spend with with their doctor, right? Exponentially. Exponentially more time. So it's a question of how we introduce those concepts to the public now so that they can understand that healthcare doesn't isn't just doctor business. It's also about the other things that we've talked about for years, but never really given much thought to until we hit this crisis where people are developing cancer and heart disease and dementia, very much more expensive to the taxpayer than the kind of thing that you're talking about, Brad, in what you're able to offer. Yeah, I, I think a big part of that, I, there are very few people out there that wouldn't say, well, I know I should eat better. I know I should exercise. I know I should sleep better. I, like They have all these shoulds. And the, the bridge that we need to help them cross is to see, don't do it because you should. Do it because your life will be better. I, we don't, there's no one out there that doesn't want to... Well, that's not true. There's almost no one out there that doesn't want a better life. You, know, you, talk, you have a great audience. I've listened to your podcast. I love your stuff. And the people listening to that, all of them are probably listening because they want a better life. The people that listen to the Health Wellness Performance Coaching Podcast, they listen because they want a better life. If we can help them see that by interacting with a health and wellness coach or by you know, engaging with this benefit that their employer is offering them or their physician is recommending to them, that their life will be better. Now they're engaged. Now that's a Got some, it's got some legs. If we simply tell them, you need to eat better, you need to exercise, you should sleep more, you shouldn't drink as much alcohol. You know, I'll nod my head and go, uh, yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate it, doc. But as soon as I walk out the door, I don't care. And, but, but, but if, if I'm sitting there and you've convinced me or my coach has helped me see this is going to make my life better, I want my life to be better. Wait, how do I, how do I sign up? Where do I do this thing? So I think that's the big shift. We need to get away from telling everybody, you need to do this, you should do this, and say to them, do you want your life to be better? Because this will allow that to happen. You're right. And hearing that this is going to improve your life is much more powerful than hearing a lecture about taking all your fun away, right? Totally. Totally. Exactly. Okay. So when you talk about diffusion of innovation, which is what we're talking about, we're now talking about innovation. We're talking about innovating to improve outcomes for the country, for the economy. Uh, Let's face it, that's what we're talking about. How do you get that happening? Because there are so many people who are not going to want to change. Change is very difficult. And that's not just at an individual level, it's also at corporate level. If you think, well, you know, our profits are looking fine, our people are turning, and there's lots of people looking for jobs, so we're just going to keep on doing what we do. How do you get to the point where you make it compelling, or do you? Or do you just say, we'll start with the corporations that really get this, and they're going to beat the competition to death, effectively? Yeah, so two, two things there. So you said people don't want to change, and I think we all tend to make that comment. I might argue, let's walk this out, and let's see if, what we think about this, because I'm thinking as I'm talking, which is always dangerous. But I actually think people love change if they see it as a of a, a, a change that's cool to them. So if I said to you, was I've got two million bucks, that's going to be a change to your bank account. And and you've said to me, I don't like change. I bet you'd like that change. I bet you'd be like, sure, I'll try that two million dollars in my bank account change. Sure, let's give that a shot. So you, you might not want to eat broccoli, but you the the change that makes you think it's going to make your life better 
or it's going to enhance whatever's important to you, you love that kind of change. So I, I, I'm not sure that we don't like change. I think we don't like other people trying to change us. But if it's a change that benefits me and what's important to me, that's awesome. Like I'm all in on that one. And then as far as employers and or the, the employees, the, the individuals, I, I love the saying, everyone knows the, the saying, you can lead a horse to water, you can't make them drink. But, and this is where we come in, you can make them thirsty. And I think that is the absolute key. I am not going to make, some, if I'm your coach, I can't make you do a single thing. But if I can make you thirsty and you leave that interaction saying, actually, I really like what we talked about with that stress thing or that sleep or that exercise or the eating or, or whatever. Okay. I think I'll try that. So anyway, a, a few thoughts along those lines. We could go down a lot of examples with that, but, but hopefully that kind of helps people think that through. Yeah, I accept that. And I think that um, I'll give you an example of making people thirsty. It's just, uh, as you know, I, I'm wedded to somebody who loves stories, so I, I will not be forgiven for, for not telling you a story. <laughs> so the story goes like this. When I'm teaching medical students, the best way I can make them thirsty enough to want to sit in my lecture is to say, just as we start, okay, guys, I want you to take some notes because this is going to be on the exam, right? Yep. It's going to be a question on the exam. Suddenly, everybody's note, notepads open. Everyone's totally. got their pen out. That's fair enough. And I accept that. The one thing I wanted to explore, I keep, uh, keep on this point, is that, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love that change. If you could send me 2 million bucks, bucks into my account, no problem. I'll be very happy. I'll sit there. I'll give you the numbers. Just type in these numbers and the money lands <laughs> in my account. that routing number? Yeah. Unfortunately, the reality is that that 2 million bucks will come at a price that I may not be prepared to pay. And then you could Absolutely. say, well, for that $2 million, I really like your kidneys, right? So you're going to have to have this operation. You're going to have to do this. You're going to have to do that. And I'm going to say, that change, I don't want, even though it might make a huge difference to my family and to the future of my children, having that $2 million in the account. How do you make the cost of that change something palatable from, from your perspective? Yeah, I love that. That's such a great question, Moyes. You know, if you think about New Year's resolutions, so many people get on board with that and they're all excited and they're talking to their friends. They're saying, so here's what I'm going to do this year. And then around whatever, January 10th, 20th, 30th, whatever, it falls off the, the board. They don't care anymore. They move on. And, and I think what happens is oftentimes we set these goals, targets, whatever you want to call them, pursuits in a vacuum. Maybe we're on a Christmas vacation, we're with our family, we've got some extra time, we're sleeping. And the idea of exercising, going for a 30-minute walk a day is like, that's no big deal. I got plenty of time. And then the following Monday hits and we have our commute. We have to be up early. We've got to get our kids up ready for school, get, you know, get to work, sit in traffic, work a 10-hour day, come home, you know, the whole deal. And we're like, I'm not going to walk. Like This just doesn't, doesn't fit. So where health and wellness coaching, effective health and wellness coaching comes in is you take a step back. So you set the goal. You say, I'm going to walk 30 minutes a day, three times a week, whatever. Now, the coach, instead of saying, okay, cool, way to go, nice job. They say, okay, love it, great to hear, when? Oh, I'm going to do it um, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Okay, what time? Um, I'm going to do it right after work. Okay, what time is that? Well, I get home about 6.30. Okay. What are you currently doing Monday at 6.30? I, oh no, I got to get my kid to gymnastics Monday at 6.30. I can't do that. So 
So now we come up with a, a different alternative. So, okay, well, it would be a different time. So we think through all these roadblocks initially before we start, because the typical person with the roadblocks in January with resolutions is they hit that first Monday, they forgot, they got to take the kid to gymnastics practice, and then they blow it off and they're like, ah, it doesn't fit with my schedule. Well, by talking that through with someone, maybe health and wellness coach, maybe somebody else, they talk through all those barriers. They address all those barriers. They fix all those barriers, or maybe they decide this isn't the right goal for me right now. So we're not jamming that into something doesn't fit. We're saying, let's talk it all through. Let's come up with all the potential roadblocks. And then, and then only we'll move forward. And so you're not, you're not hitting these walls constantly and then giving up. You're just, you know what? This works for my life. So that's very different than the typical where you and I say, Hey, let's do this thing. And then it fits great with your schedule, but doesn't for me. And so I give up. There's a lot of science behind what you say. And I'm reminded oh, huge. that you know, people like BJ Fogg talk about triggers yeah. and all the rest of it. So I think, that, and small habits, there are books about this. Exactly what you say, that you need to identify what is going to trigger you to do what you need to do. And then there's no negotiation, is there? You know that your gym shoes are waiting for you at the door at that time. Yeah. As soon as you get out of bed, you're, you're into those shoes and you're out the door, you're, you're out jogging yeah. or you're off to the pool or whatever it happens to be. Right. So you're right. Uh, so that, that works. Okay. I'll, yeah. I'll give you that one. That's a great one. <laughs> I want to talk to you a little bit more just as a final thought about the issue of inequity in society. We know that people who work in wealthy corporations, people who work in, uh, with employers who are really interested in their well-being, the big employers really do commit to this kind of approach. And it's an important and valuable approach. What about those who are on the other side of the tracks, the smaller employers, the people who cannot afford this? Is there an answer? How do you see the future unfolding for them? Or are we going to continue to have inequity in society? Yeah, I think this is going to be one of the ones that could be a potential breakthrough. We see many of our clients that have very low-paid employees that they set up health and wellness coaching. Because they know, I don't know you well, but I know enough about you to know that you know the right things to do. You have access to the right tools. You can, you know, you can go get a, a stationary bike. You can join a health club. You can buy the healthy food, et cetera, et cetera. But you're already performing at probably 90 to 95% of your potential. So if you hire me as your coach, that may have an exponential impact because you have this broad spectrum of Im- impact that you already have. But for the person who's struggling across all of those things, they're already struggling with eating and exercise and sleep and relationship. The move, fuel, rest, connect four that we talked about as the cornerstones, they're struggling in all four of those. And if we can help them improve any of any of those four, not all four, not three of the four, not even two of the four, any one of those four by a small amount, that will have an incredible impact. So while you may only improve your performance five, six, eight, 10%, they might improve their performance, their health, their future, their parenting, their next generation impact by 20, 30, 40, 50%. So the wise employers are getting the fact that this is not a benefit in the classic, we're going to give you something. It is a, it's an enhancer. It's a way to put premium fuel in your, uh, whatever your automobile is, that's your automobile of choice to make it run the best it possibly can. 
So yes, we're seeing the opposite. Interestingly, because I agree with you, I would have said that five, six years ago. And now we're seeing organizations that say, look, our employees don't have everything they need. They are in the midst of a lot of inequities. They can't, they don't have the salary and we're not going to double their salary. But if we can come alongside them and help them in these different areas, well, that could have an even bigger impact for the long haul. Brad Cooper, it's been a joy speaking with you. You've clearly given this an awful lot of thought. I'm convinced, and I dare say those who will be listening to you will also be convinced. Well done and thank you. It was a joy. Thanks, Moyes. The Health Design Podcast, sponsored by the Patient and Physician Advocacy Alliance. Visit us at thejournalofhealthdesign.com.